celebrated the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Right? There's a, there's a whole purpose of Easter. That's why, we, that's why we celebrate that day. That's why we mark it on our calendars and set it apart. We are, we are purposefully celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we did last week. Now, one of the things we talked about last week was that if you want to understand the good news of the resurrection, you have to understand what happened three days prior, right? You have to understand the cross. You have to understand that Jesus experienced pain and suffering. You have to understand that Jesus drank in the cup of wrath that was ours to drink. Also, that we could be forgiven of our sins and brought into right relationship with God through faith. And so what that means is that central... What's up? Oh, kids. Sorry. Kids can be dismissed. Sorry about that. Man, we are on top of it this morning, guys. So central to Christianity, it will come to no surprise to you guys, is the cross. It's the cross. Without the cross... Without the sacrifice of Jesus for the payment of your sin, there is no Christianity. There's no Christianity. And this, of course, is why people wear crosses on their necks, or they, or they decorate their homes with crosses, or they put, they put stickers of crosses on their cars, or they have, they have T-shirts with crosses made on them, because it is essential to our faith. Without the cross, there's no Christianity. But interestingly enough, the cross is not meant to only be a signifier of our faith. Meaning that the cross is not meant to be just a symbol of what we place our faith in, namely Jesus, but it is also meant to be a symbol for how we are to live our Christian life. And so when you look at the cross... You aren't just meant to think of the wonderful things that Jesus did for you through his suffering and death. But you are also supposed to see a blueprint for your life. And so as we dive back into the book of Mark this morning, we will see that this is the message Jesus tells all of those who would follow after him. Jesus, as we will discover shortly, tells all those who would be his disciples that the cross does not only represent, that, uh, represent something that happened for you in the past, but it represents the everyday experience of your Christian life. That's what the cross is. But before we dive into what that means, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can be here this morning. And Lord, I pray, God, as always, Lord, that you open our eyes and you give us the ears to hear the things that you would have us learn this morning. And Father, we love you, and I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Now, I want to actually start by, uh, by, by asking you guys a question. Is there, is there anything that you have ever agreed to do without fully understanding what you're actually getting yourself into before you agreed to do it? Has that happened to you before? Probably. Well, I did that, well, yeah, every day. <laughs> right, right. Fatherhood, am I right? Come on. Uh, well, I did, other than fatherhood, I did that once when I, was, when I was 19. When I was 19. I had been working as a camp counselor uh, and on the maintenance crew, and for those of you who know me, you would understand how hilarious that second part is, the maintenance crew, uh, for a Christian summer camp for a few years. But 
one summer, they needed someone to run their horse program, and so I got a phone call asking if I would be interested in doing that, and, and me, because I'm dumb, I thought it would be really fun. I thought it would be great, and I said, yes, of course, I would love to. No problem. Now, what you may not realize is that when you agree to run a horse program, this may come to a shock, you actually have to work with horses. And what you may also not realize is that when you, when you see horses on TV, and then when you see them in, in like real life, when you're right next to them, they are a lot bigger than what they appear on TV. They are massive creatures. They are honestly pretty intimidating if you actually are standing right next to one. And so needless to say, when I first began this new job, and as I began to learn how to, to saddle horses, as I learned how to begin to, to, to pick their hooves, brush them out, clean their stalls, and ride them properly, I thought that there was a, a real chance, a, a really good chance that this summer I was going to die. <laughs> After all, I was being trained by a guy at this time who had his jaw broken by a horse and he chose to keep working with them. He had his jaw broken by a horse. He, it kicked him while he was replacing one of his shoes. And, and this guy, if you saw him, you would agree with me. He was the manliest man you have ever seen in your life, ever. He had a square jaw. He had this perfect Fu Manchu. It was amazing. I think it went down all the way to his belly. He had a, had a massive barrel chest, and, and he wore a cowboy hat and boots. And I knew, I knew that if a horse kicked this guy in the face and only broke his jaw, if a horse kicked me in the face, game over. I was going to die. The hands down. And so all of this to say, that long story to say, I signed up to be the horse program director without any real understanding of what that meant. And in my mind, I was going to be lazily riding horses up and down a trail, and that was it. But the reality of it was far more difficult than I could have ever anticipated at the beginning. I believe there are many in the world today who proclaim to be Christians. Many, whether it is because they were baptized as a child, or maybe it was because they signed a card at a church service or because they were raised in a Christian household. I believe there are many in this world who would claim the moniker of Christian, but in reality have no idea of what being a true professing Christian actually means. If you remember back a couple weeks ago, that was, that was kind of Peter's problem, Right? In verse 32, Peter begins to rebuke Jesus after Jesus had told his closest disciples of what must take place in the coming days, namely his, his suffering and death on the cross. Peter rebukes him when he said that, and Peter's reaction to this was, was to say, No, Lord, far, far be it from you to suffer. You're the Messiah. But Jesus, in the most, most scathing rebuke in Scripture, said what to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. That's right. Get behind me, Satan. You see, Peter had an earthly idea of what the Messiahship was to look like. And Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you need to begin to see things with my eyes. Right now, your mind is not set on the things of God. Your mind is set on the things of man. That's why you believe the Messiahship, my Messiahship, should be without suffering. Peter, you don't get it. And what Peter didn't realize is what we spoke of last week on Easter Sunday. 
our salvation necessitated, it necessitated the suffering of Christ. And seeing that Peter did not understand this fundamental element of his mission, Jesus takes this opportunity to clear up not just what it meant for him to be the Messiah, but he takes this opportunity to clear up what it means to be a follower of him, to be a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus, in our passage today, gives us a crystal clear picture of what it means to not just claim to be a Christian, not to just give lip service to that word, but what it means to actually be a Christian, to actually follow in the footsteps of Jesus, because it is very different from what his disciples believed it to be. And friends, it is very different very different from what many in our 21st century culture believe it to be. So we see, beginning in verse 34 of Mark 8, that after Jesus had rebuked Peter, he called to the crowd that was still lingering around him. He wanted them to be sure, not just his disciples, but anyone who would consider being a follower of Jesus. He wanted to be sure that all of them had the opportunity to hear what he was about to say. So he gathers them close, and he says the following. And calling to the crowd around him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, meaning anyone who would join Christ as his disciple, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful nation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So this year, my brothers and sisters, this is the definition of, of a Christian. If you have been wondering what it means to, to follow Christ, all you've got to do is simply look at this passage. Look at this passage. Now, I want to break this down into four overlapping sections. And, and as I was studying this passage, it helped me to do that. And I, and I think it'll be helpful for you if we break down our passage today in four different sections. Now, step one. Step one in following Christ, we find in the first part of verse 34. And that is self-denial. Self-denial. Now, can you imagine a statement that is more countercultural than that? Self-denial. Did you know that the number two best-selling book genre on Amazon of 2021 was self-help? It was self-help. And if you go onto Amazon and type in self-help into the search bar, you are inundated with book after book after book that encourages you to do what? Well, yeah, that's part of it, yeah. Not necessarily deny yourself. But to do what? Embrace yourself. To embrace yourself. These books say that if you want to find true happiness and peace in this life, you must learn to not deny yourself, but to love yourself more. Cut out any negativity. Remove any toxic relationships in your life. Embrace all those little character flaws that you try to, try to hide and, and tuck away. Don't hide them, embrace them. And most importantly, 
Do what makes you happy and live your authentic self. And be your authentic self. And in our fallen world, that takes many forms. Embracing your authentic self might mean embracing sinful lifestyles. It may mean convincing yourself that you can be a member of the opposite sex. It could mean embracing sexual sin, whether it be homosexual sin or heterosexual sins, because after all, your identity is your sexual preference, right? So therefore, to love yourself, you must embrace that part of you, regardless of what the archaic and outdated Bible has to say about it. And why shouldn't you? That's what makes you happy. You are the king or queen of your life, and therefore, the world needs to bend around you. And friends, this world that we live in right now cannot get any more self-denial, or any more, sorry, anti-self-denial. And yet Jesus says, and yet Jesus says, you want to follow me? You've got to give all that up. You've got to give all that up. Paul in Philippians 2.21, when speaking of those in the world, says, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying to the follower, or the one who wants to be a follower, that that must be flipped on its head. For Christians look out for, their, or sorry, for the interests of Jesus, not their own. That's what it should read, for Christians. And I want you to notice how Jesus words this phrase in our passage today. It's essentially the same in the Greek as it is in the English. Self-denial. The denial of the self. He didn't just say that you must deny certain aspects of yourself. That you must deny this pleasure or that pleasure or, or deny certain sins only. It's not what he said. No, as A.W. Pink says, the denial of self which Christ requires from all of his followers is to be universal and holistic. Meaning that there is not an inch of your being, there is not an inch of who you are in which you are to deny in order to follow Christ. 2 Timothy 3.1 says that non-Christians are lovers of themselves. And so in order to follow Christ, we must actually first become haters of ourselves. Because we, before Christ changes us, are sinful. To the very core of who we are. We're sinful. And we are to hate and reject and deny all the things in our hearts that are wicked. And friends, not the things that are wicked just to us. Because we will miss a lot if we use our own made-up standard of what is sinful. But we are to hate and deny what is wicked in us in the sight of God. As one author says, denying yourself means that we are to lay the axe at the root of any tree in our lives that bears bad fruit. Reject that which the flesh loves, but God hates. And this denial of self also includes our flesh's desire for comfort. Which actually brings us to our next step in being a follower of Jesus. Listen to the second half of verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him take up his cross and follow me. 
Well, that sounds even more lovely than deny yourself, doesn't it? It's important to note here that the disciples and the crowd around Jesus do not yet have have the context of of Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. It's not really in their worldview yet because it hasn't happened yet. And so when Jesus says that they should take up their cross, he was not meaning to pick up a cross necklace as their symbol of their faith in what he will soon do. It's It's not the context in which Jesus is talking about the cross here. As I said in the intro to this sermon, Jesus is speaking of the cross here as a blueprint for the Christian life. He means it as a visceral picture of what the Christian life, if truly lived, hear that, if truly lived, will look like. Everyone listening to Jesus at this moment in time, they understood what the cross was. As we learned last week, it was the Romans' preferred method of torture and execution. And it was normal procedure for the convicted criminal to pick up and carry the crossbeam of the cross to the execution site. And friends, this, this walk would be extremely difficult and brutal. People would often throw rocks and spit at the criminal and hurl insults at them as he carried the beam to the place that he would soon die. And so the cross as a blueprint for your life, it means this, that to be a Christian, you are to conform your life to the life of Christ, to follow in his footsteps, knowing, knowing full well that those footsteps led him directly to the agonizing death on the cross. That's what following Jesus means. Borrowing from R.C. Sproul, Jesus is saying that if you want to follow me, do not expect an easy time. Do not expect to have all of your hopes, wants, and expectations met. You might as well take up a crossbeam and carry it with you every day because my disciples must be ready to endure suffering, shame, and even death. Friends, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be willing to pick up that crossbeam and follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. And friends, as you know, and as I have preached before, there are many wolves out there trying to sell you a false gospel. A false gospel. False teachers such as Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, Clefalo Dollar, T.D. Jakes, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, and many others will tell you that God's purpose for your life is health and wealth. That God wants you to live your best life now. That God wants you to be comfortable and live a tension-free life in this world. And that the gospel isn't really about liberating you from your sins. If anything, that's just, that's, that comes second place. But the gospel is truly about liberating you from discomfort. And friends, to use a word that many are scared to use these days, that is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. My brothers and sisters, this life is full of suffering. It's full of suffering, whether you are rich or whether you are poor. That is a simple fact of living life in this broken world. And Jesus is saying here in this passage that if you want to be a true follower of Christ, then you must willingly, you must pick up an extra helping of suffering, an extra scoop of suffering. 
Because it will come your way when you pick up that cross. Because the world is at odds with the God who created it. And it is at odds with the message of his gospel. And therefore, Christian, it is at odds with you. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 15, 18 through 21. I think we have a slide for that. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then what? They will also persecute you. Take a, look at, take a look at Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you, it's been granted to you, that you, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Does that sound like the health and wealth gospel? The prosperity gospel? Brothers and sisters, the cross is not just a symbol of our faith. It is not just a symbol of what Christ did for us on that cross, though, though first and foremost, that is what it is. But Jesus here is saying that the cross is also the badge of Christian discipleship. And so, friends, it is not the cross you wear around your neck or the cross that you wear on your t-shirt or that you have on your car that marks you as a true Christian. It is the cross that you carry on your back as you go out proclaiming that salvation is through repentance of sin and faith alone in Jesus Christ. The Christian life was not meant to be comfortable. It was not meant to be without suffering for the name of Christ. And if that is what you believe this morning, if you're here and you believe that message, friends, you've been sold a false gospel. J.C. Ryle makes this point very well. He says, let us often ask ourselves whether our Christianity costs us anything. Does it entail any sacrifice? Has it the true stamp of heaven? Does it carry with it any cross? If not, we may well tremble and be afraid because we have everything to learn. A religion which costs nothing is worth nothing. It will do us no good in the life that is now. It will lead to no salvation in the life to come. That's the truth. It's the truth of Jesus' words here in this passage. But, but, my friends, though we are to deny ourselves and pick up our cross in order to be true followers of Christ, to, to willingly take on additional suffering, more suffering than we already face in this life, though that is what we are called to do in order to follow Christ, this does not mean, this does not mean that the Christian life is to be void of joy. And this brings us into our next section. Take a look at verse 35 of our passage. 
It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. So what Jesus is saying is that if you seek to not deny yourself, if that's what you're seeking after, and, and to not deny your sinfulness, and in, sa- in fact, if you, if you seek to do the opposite, if you seek to embrace yourself in your sinful nature, if you seek to avoid the ridicule and suffering that comes from picking up your cross and following after Jesus, then, my friends, in the final analysis, you will miss out on what brings not only true and lasting life, but you'll miss out on what brings you true and lasting life joy. And you will end up losing the only thing in your life of any actual worth, your soul. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And so as you, as you seek what the world tells you that you should seek after, as you attempt to acquire all of the things that these false teachers tell you that you should acquire, money, fame, material possessions, comfort, you lose true life. And you forfeit your soul to an eternity of misery. And so in the hunt to save your life, you lose true life. In the hunt for happiness... In this world, you lose true joy. But, but, and my friends, this is, this is a good but. As strange as that sounds, this is a good but. There is an immense joy to be had in self-denial. And now that may sound counterintuitive, but, but, but hear me out. When you deny yourself and the things that your dirty heart desires, you are giving up lesser things. You're giving up lesser things for the greater joy of fellowship with God. And that is, oh, so important for us to know. God does not want you to live a a masochistic life that is joy or that is devoid of joy. He wants you to fully maximize your joy and contentment. And he knows that will not and cannot come from the things found in this world. That is why no matter how little or how much money we have or how many things we own, no matter how many sins we commit in pursuit of contentment, we are still never satisfied. But pure joy, pure joy, Joy that is, that is undefiled, that is, that is untainted by the guilt of sin, comes in denying yourself and taking up your cross and following after Jesus. Listen to this, my brothers and sisters, coming from the words of Paul in Romans 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Meaning that if you are a believer, everything that has been given to Jesus by the Father belongs to you. It belongs to you. Eternal life. Unspeakable love and fellowship with our Creator is yours. Provided we suffer with Him. Provided we pick up our crosses in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Brothers and sisters, we do not deny ourselves. 
We do not suffer for no reason. It's not, it's not meaningless. But because in the suffering, we find our ultimate joy because we know what is coming to us. We know what's waiting for us. And just as Christ suffered and died, we too will suffer and die. And just as Christ rose again in glory to sit at the right hand of God, so too will we rise again in glory as co-heirs with our Savior. That's why Paul continues in verse 18 and says that, that while we suffer in this life, and, and while the suffering that we experience is real and difficult and painful and causes heartache and grief, my brothers and sisters, it is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's a promise. That's a promise that we have. And that is why we can rejoice in our sufferings. I want to drive this point home. So I want us to look at 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. Now don't get hung up on verses 3 through 5. What Paul is saying in those verses is that if you are a believer, it is because God saved you by giving you the gift of faith. He caused you to be born again. And Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee that our salvation is secure. That God himself is guarding your salvation. That's, that's verses 3 through 5. And so don't, don't get hung up too much right there. So in 1 Peter 3, sorry, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now really, really focus in here. In this you rejoice. In, in all of that truth, in verses 3 through 5, you rejoice in that. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice. Listen, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How amazing is that? Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, the denial of self and the partaking in the sufferings of Christ by taking up your cross brings with it what? inexpressible joy that is filled that is filled to the brim with glory because as Jesus says in our passage through losing your life for the sake of him in the gospel through, through the burning away of all the, the sinfulness of our lives you gain everything you gain everything your life is saved, believer. Christ is yours and you are His. In that 
Truth is joy to the uttermost. That is why the Westminster Shorter Catechism asked the question, what is the chief end of man? Why was man created? Why were you created? What's the ultimate purpose of you sitting here in your seats right now, believer? What is your chief end? Not quite. The answer to that question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. Through, the, through suffering for Christ, it is guaranteed to us that we get to spend eternity glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. I'm going to land this plane with the last verse of our passage, verse 38, which says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes again in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now friends, the pattern of the one who believes themselves to be a Christian, but truly hasn't denied themselves, hasn't truly picked up their cross and followed after Jesus, is being ashamed of not just simply proclaiming to be a Christian. And to be honest, sometimes that's, that's the easy part, right? It's one thing to passively say that you are a believer in Jesus to your so social circles, but it is something else entirely to speak the actual words of Jesus to them. Those are completely separate things. The gospel is this. This, this is the gospel. You are a sinner who is deserving of hell. You need to repent of your sin. Repent of all Scripture says is sin. And place your faith in Jesus Christ who loved sinners enough to die for them. That is the gospel. And as we have said, that message brings with it hatred from the world, mockery from the world, scorn from the world. And friends, if you are ashamed of that message, if you yourself do not like the message of the gospel and wish it were different, even though you proclaim to be a Christian, Jesus is saying here that when he comes again and the final judgment of all people who have ever lived comes about, he will be ashamed of you. And you will receive your due judgment. So if that is, if that is you in this room, and you are ashamed of the gospel. Now, friends, repent. Repent. And truly place your faith in Christ for the first time. Now, I do want to say that this does not mean that if you are a true believer, that you will never or should never struggle with sharing the gospel. It's not what I'm saying, because Lord knows I have. But though in your heart you love the message of the gospel because it is your salvation, you should cry out to the Holy Spirit to give you boldness and courage to preach Christ crucified and to be able to proclaim, as Paul does in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let that be our proclamation. Let's pray. Lord, I just come to you absolutely humbled by who you are. 
Lord, the fact that you, you were, you are holy, 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 and infinite in all of your attributes, in your, in your love, in your power, in your, in your justice, in your righteousness. God, even though you were so transcendent and so far above us, you still chose to step down into this world and suffer and die for us. But we're told, God, that you left a pattern for us to follow. And so, Lord, I pray for all of the believers in this room, God, that you just give us all the courage to live the true Christian life. To truly deny ourselves, to pick up our crosses and follow after you by proclaiming the good news of your gospel to everyone around us with love and with grace and with compassion. Father, I pray, God, that you give us boldness. Lord, we love you. I pray this in your son's name.